May Walt Disney World bring joy and inspiration and new knowledge to all who come to this happy place. Just believe and it matter. Just believe and your dreams will come true. City Postmaster at your service. Now departing for a grand circle tour around the Magic Kingdom. Last call. Board? Well, we're about to begin. In case of a loss of cabin pressure, just relax, okay? Thank you. Come on in. Thank you. W Radio. Your information. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, from WDWRadio.com, and this is show number 122 for the week of June 7th, 2009. Thank you for tuning in once again. Much of the magic that we enjoy about Walt Disney World is often subconscious, yet very important, including and especially the constant expectation and fulfillment of a place that's always neat, clean, and incredibly well manicured. But we as guests never get to see what goes on after the parks have closed to really make that magic happen. Well, this week, I'm going to try and help paint a picture of what goes on after the last guest walks out of the gates as I speak with managers of the horticultural and custodial cast. They'll explain just some of what goes on at the Magic Kingdom and how it comes to new life overnight in the park. I just returned from Walt Disney World for some more research and to cover another Star Wars weekend. But of course, while I'm there, a man's got to eat, right? So this week, I'm going to try and experiment with something new and a little bit different. Join me on a literal roundtable as a group of friends and I do a live, on-the-spot dining review of Mama Melrose's at Disney's Hollywood Studios. We'll talk about the menu, review the food, and chat with our server who shares some of the backstory of this restaurant. It's time to take a trip once again aboard my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine as we'll head back to the Magic Kingdom, but this time back in 1973 as we look at the graceful Plaza Swan Boats which plied the waterways around Cinderella Castle. I'll have another Walt Disney World trivia contest this week, but this time it's just a little bit different with a different format and an all-new prize. Listen for more of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. So much of the magic that we enjoy about Walt Disney World comes not necessarily from the attractions and the resorts, but from the incredibly immersive experience that envelops us as soon as we step foot into the parks. As guests make their way down Main Street USA in the morning, they often don't consciously notice the clean streets, pristine landscaping, and meticulous attention to detail. But that's actually an important element in how and why 
Disney has continually exceeded the expectations of millions of guests each year who visit the parks for an unforgettable experience unlike any other. But how does Disney do it? How do they keep their parks so incredibly clean, bright, and fresh when they're open 365 days a year and tens and thousands of guests walk through their gates on every one of those days? Well, the real magic begins after the parks close, as unbeknownst to guests, a veritable army of cast members from custodians, horticulturists, artists, painters, craftsmen, and construction workers bring new life to the Magic Kingdom. So what goes on to create the magic that we all walk into each and every day? And who are the people that make that happen? Today, I'm gonna to be joined by a head gardener and head custodian from Walt Disney World to give us a little insight as to what goes on after the park closes at night. So to tell us today a little bit about some of the magic that goes on and we get to see each and every day, 365 days a year, is Kim Warnicke. She is the area manager for the Magic Kingdom Resorts Landscape in Walt Disney World. Kim, thanks so much for joining us. No problem, I love being here. Love talking about the landscapes at Walt Disney World. Well, we were talking a little bit before we started recording and you've been here for, for quite some time. You truly love your job. Yes, I do. I started 30 years ago, and as I was telling you, I started below the bottom and I worked my way up. I actually started out digging trees for the Epcot project, so I was, I was below ground level. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about, like I said, you were, you're the area manager for the Magic Kingdom. What exactly does that entail and what does that cover? I'm responsible for the bedding plants, the flowers throughout the Magic Kingdom region, which is the park, the surrounding resorts, and the campground. Also maintaining all of the turf in that region and the shrubs for a large part of that region. And one of the things that I think has always been fascinating to me is, and I think a lot of guests don't think about it, is that the Magic Kingdom specifically really comes alive at night. It's a whole different type of experience than, than what guests see during the day and probably things that guests don't really think about it. Um, what happens here at the Magic Kingdom from your perspective when that last guest passed through the turnstiles at night? Well, that's really when we get most of our work done because what we're trying to do is to have it perfect and the magic begin when the guest walks through the gate in the morning. And so there are many times when we're changing out some of the large flower beds that you'll, we'll be waiting outside the gate for the park clear announcement. And then when it comes, we roll in, we start taking the plants out, and then we go in with new crops, new rotations. If any tree trimming needs to be done, mowing, uh, for example, tomorrow morning, there's a, there's a radio remote in the Rose Garden, so we'll be coming in around 2 o'clock so we can get the mowing done and move out prior to that starting. And how large of a crew, so for example, from your department, because obviously the, the Magic Kingdom is filled with not just horticulture people, but artists and custodials and painters and construction people, how large is your team? We have about 100 people that maintain the entire Magic Kingdom region. People that are usually in the park by crew is 20 to 30 people at a time that are running either the mow crew, the, the bedding plants, the shrubs, something like that. And so as you were saying, what goes on here is, is sometimes some of the, the smaller, more ordinary things like mowing. Sometimes it might be things that are more major, like major replanting of trees or entire flower beds, all of which takes place in the middle of the night. 
Exactly. We will come in here sometimes, um, remove trees that are a problem, clear branches from the railroad track. Uh, the jungle cruise is a big one. We, we have to go in there on the boat and get the shrubs that start growing over the water out. So there's really a lot of things that happen. And of course, we have to time it so that custodial can come in behind us and clean up. I was going to say, it must be a coordinated effort between all the different divisions to make sure there's no sort of overlap and you guys can do what you need to do first. We have to do a lot of coordination, especially with custodial, but also with uh, a lot of the media that goes on in the park. There's also wedding pictures that go on in the park, and they don't want us, obviously, behind them mowing the grass in their wedding photos. So there's a lot of coordination. We try to put a schedule out and communicate as things change. And I'm sure that schedule probably changes day to day. It's not the same thing every night for you and for the entire team because you certainly can't cover the entire park and then different things will be changed out different times. Right. And the other thing is you have unexpected events because you're dealing with Mother Nature. For example, the last three days at Walt Disney World, we've been in here early every morning pumping beds out because obviously we've had a, bit, a ton of rain. And so, you know, and crops that you thought were going to last three months when you have the strange weather in Florida might last a week. You might have to come in here and, and do something you weren't planning on. And then, so this goes on the entire night from the time that that last guest leaves until about how long before that first guest arrives. It, it's a matter of seconds, isn't it? <laughs> Sometimes it's, it's pretty, uh, it's, you're sweating it to make sure that it's, um, that it's cleared. But, you know, uh, our goal is to be out maybe an hour, a half hour before the park opens. Generally, it's, you know, it's pretty close to, to opening when we get out of here. I will say that. And what you guys do is, is so unique than everybody else because you are actually making major changes sometimes. You're replanting. I assume that there are large nurseries and tree farms and everything else that, that sort of, I guess, have an, almost an inventory of plants that you're able to swap in and out. Well, we actually schedule our flowers a year in advance. Um, so we have we know when our crop rotations are coming up, give or take one or two weeks, depending on the weather. Uh, if there is a, a problem, a hurricane comes, a freeze that we don't expect, then we'll have to go to some of the larger nurseries, most of them located in South Florida, to get the plant material to us. You know, when we think about the landscape and horticulture, many times you often people we all drive by. Those of us that have had lawns in the past drive by and are amazed at how beautiful the greenery always is. Sometimes we also don't stop and smell the roses or look at the flowers because the floral bedding here is absolutely spectacular. And the first thing that we're all greeted by as soon as we walk through the gates is the large Mickey right in front of the train station. Yes, and that is a phenomenal piece. And it's trimmed every week and it's changed out three or four times a year. One thing that's really phenomenal here that I I should mention is if you've ever been here before the Christmas change out, before the Christmas tree comes in, we do come in here the night the Christmas tree comes in and we put all the poinsettias in the park in one night. So it's phenomenal. You come in and it's, it's fall and Thanksgiving and then the next morning it's Christmas and it's just, it's amazing. That's the thing from a guest perspective that has always been fascinating is that literally you leave the park one night, you come back just a few hours later, and it's a completely different environment, due in large part to what you're able to do. Um, and sometimes it, we, we subconsciously walk right by it, but many of us that like to pay attention to the details realize the entire flower bed's been changed out. All of the poinsettias have now been hung. 
Yeah, it's great. And I think, you know, if I could pick my favorite time, that would be it. Um, but it does happen, you know, it happens all the time. It happens every time the seasons change. And people don't really notice it because their expectation is that when they walk into Walt Disney World, it always looks phenomenal. So hopefully we provide that for the guests. And that's what I think it is. And that's why I wanted to talk about this because, I, like I said, I think people um, almost take it for granted. You subconsciously walk by, you walk in, you, we have such a high level of expectation of what Walt Disney World and the Magic Kingdom is going to look like, and it always does, and we're, we're never disappointed in that, and, it, and it's due in large part to this invisible army of people that we never get to see and I think doesn't get the appreciation that they should get. Well, thank you very much, but they, they are an amazing group of people and they truly love what they do. If you ever get the opportunity and you see a gardener working out there and you can speak to them, what they know, their knowledge base, they even take it for granted because it's second nature to them to do everything to just just the right degree. And it's a great group of people. And I think you're uh, you're representative of those people who may be sitting at home listening saying, I love to garden and I'd love to, I'd love to, well, I can combine my two passions and do exactly what you did. And like you said, many different disciplines, you know, from landscaping to horticulture to flowers, all of which I'm, I'm awful at, by the way. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there, there's many different opportunities for people, maybe if they want to sort of join the horticulture team. Yeah, horticulture, There's uh, we have arborists, we have irrigation specialists, we have gardeners. There is a whole nother florist department on Disney property for people that just like flowers. You, um, it, There's a lot of opportunity, but there's also a lot of, it's, it's a very physical job and you have to be able to work in the elements because you're out there, rain or shine, because you've got to have this park and these resorts ready every morning, no matter what the weather was the night before. And today's, a per like you said, a perfect example. It We had two days of sideways <laughs> sheets of rain and we walk in today and that's why it's, a, it's great that we're doing this now because the park looks as pristine as it always does. Every plant looks exactly the way it's supposed to be. So Kim Warnicke, thanks to you and your entire team for everything that you do to really enhance the guest experience. Thank you very much. I'm now joined by Kent Krause. He is the custodial operations manager for the Magic Kingdom. Kent, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. Nice to be here. It's great to have you, and, and Kent, uh, I want to have you on because I have been a long-time Walt Disney World enthusiast, and one of the things that I and I think so many other guests really expect and almost take for granted at the same time is how when we walk in that gate first thing in the morning, the Magic Kingdom and all the theme parks are pristine. Everything is clean, no matter how many guests were here before, no matter how many days of rain we may have just had in the past couple of days. Um, tell us a little bit about you, how you got started with the company, and what you do as the operations manager for Custodial. Okay, Lou. Well, uh, first of all, I'd like to address your comment about the uh, pristineness of the park. As you know, Walt Disney, our founder, from the very beginning wanted his parks to be different than other things of the day. So the really neat thing is we have taken that heritage and we continue to live it and breathe it every single day. Um, Operations is kind of the, the role I've been in my whole career, my 18 years with the company. I've done a lot of attractions and also some custodial. And uh, most recently, really the last year here, I've been kind of the department head for the custodial here uh, at the Magic Kingdom Park. Now, it's, we're talking about the, the role of custodial, just a, a quick aside for a second. Um, many people have told me through the years that you might say, oh, custodial, I know who wants to be the guy sweeping up? But that's actually one of the more prized jobs in the Magic Kingdom because from what I understand you have a little bit more freedom to walk around and interact with guests and it's so much more than just carrying the broom with you. 
Yes, uh, we like to say, even though we have a great team of guest relations folks, that our cast are actually the ambassadors for the park. Uh, again, back to Walt, uh, the friendliness, the outgoingness, uh, expectation of his cast, uh, we like to personify that here day in and day out every single day. So two of the great things that our, our parks are known for, cleanliness and friendliness, our cast really, really do personify each and every day. Absolutely, and the custodial are very, very visible and they're always very friendly, very welcoming, uh, there to answer questions. But at night, it's a whole different scene here because when that last guest walks out the turnstile, a whole new crew comes in. Tell us what happens at the end of the day, what you do and what the custodial teams in the parks do. Okay, uh, first of all, as you know, the, the park hours of the Magic Kingdom are very dynamic. So the park may occasionally close as early as 7 or 8 in the evening. And there's times when we have guests here till 3 or 4 in the morning. So as you can tell, that makes doing the magic that we do a little challenging at times. So depending on what time the park's closing, we actually have people coming in and checking out maybe hot spots, areas that need a little extra attention before the last guests even leave. Uh, in addition, uh, we're kind of a seamless operation 24-7, so it's very important that our day shift crew make sure that they're closing out their areas, their zones, their restrooms to make sure all the, the trash is, is taken where it needs to go and that everything's tidied up so that when the third shift crew, the night crew, the, the deep cleaning crew gets in, they're ready to go right to work at the, the first possible moment uh, allowed to get out on stage. And what are some of the things that they do, again, above and beyond just the normal everyday cleaning? Um, because obviously there's a lot of guest traffic, there's a lot of foot traffic that comes in. And to keep those streets clean, the sidewalks clean, everything else clean, I, I assume it goes beyond just sort of the normal sweeping and tidying up. Yes, uh, as you know, when you come here to the Magic Kingdom, you start off... Uh, riding either a monorail or a ferry boat over and actually we have teams that focus on those vehicles as well everything from making sure every single window is spotless of all fingerprints and stuff throughout the day to making sure that those transportation vehicles to and from the park get taken care of so that's one group that 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 is going on every night uh, as far as guests facing we have um, obviously lots of different crews doing their detailed work throughout the park. Everything from polishing brass to uh, vacuuming and, and deep cleaning carpets to kitchen cleaning. Uh, we do a very thorough um, cleansing of all the restrooms each and every night to make sure that, that all the germs are taken care of and, and that everything you know maintains in its pristine shape. We focus on things like gum. Uh, we don't sell gum here on property for a reason, but guests are allowed to chew gum in the park, and as you can imagine, it does end up on the ground. And we want to make sure our guests come here and don't end up stepping in the gum. So, so literally at night, we have uh, teams of people with machines going around looking for gum and they'll literally uh, use use uh, hot water at high pressure to make sure it gets removed from, from the ground. Beyond that, high dusting, vents, um, anything that people come in contact with, make sure that's taken care of. Um, our entire streets uh, all along our sidewalks actually get hosed down each and every night with reclaimed water. Uh, so that's very important again to keep everything, the, the pristine look that, that we definitely desire each and every day. What about attractions? Do, do custodial, do they do anything inside the attractions or outside the attractions? Yes, uh, we uh, we have set crews that go in and make sure everything is, is uh, again, dust is a fact of life wherever you go and make sure that the dust is taken care of. Um, we make sure the cues get uh, cleaned and the floors get waxed and that, that it's got a nice shine on it. Uh, 
uh, when, when people come and go, uh, making sure all the, the garbage cans inside are all wiped down and, and uh, don't have any odors coming out of them. And just, just that detail that we're known for, just making sure that everything gets done. And then we have some other cycle work, for example, on our, our attractions that uh, live in the water, Small World, it's a small world, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Splash Mountain. We also help with uh, kind of the, the remnants left by just having a, a water vehicle, even though all the water is treated. Um, if you have a pool at home, you probably know there's a kind of a, a delineation where the water kind of sits. And so we'll go in there and scrub that and make sure that it really all blends in. So, so uh, pretty much no corner of the park is left untouched by our crew. And how many? How large is the overnight crew usually? Uh, it's a it's a very very large group of uh, individuals, um, uh, dozens and dozens of people. Because I think what people probably don't realize is that at the end of the night, you know, as you were one of the last few guests wandering out Main Street, you look down and you see a very empty view down towards Cinderella Castle. And I think once that changes, once that guest leave, that changes because the park comes alive again. What are some of the things if a guest was to be a fly on the wall on Main Street USA, what would they see as far as crews that are out there and machinery and equipment and maybe even vehicles that we wouldn't expect to see it down down the streets? Yeah, very, very interesting. It's a flurry of activity. In fact, uh, typically before the park is clear, uh, in our backstage gates, we have folks lining up waiting to come on stage. Uh, again, we talked about like the gum, for example. We have a special, very large, we'll call HOTSI machines that basically propel hot water at uh, very high uh, velocities to help us get the, the debris and gum and sticky stuff up off the ground. So we've got uh, vehicles ready to pull those on stage. Um, high reaches to make sure all our building fronts get detail from the very top of a sight line all the way to the bottom. Uh, we go through and make sure cobwebs and, and the typical thing that you would see in, in your house that we take care of those things each and every evening. So, and we're not the only department out there working custodial. Obviously there's uh, engineering services, uh, there's horticulture, there's uh, just a flurry of folks out there working on the things that need to be done. So we have to work in harmony with those groups, which um, is sometimes challenging, but everybody works together as a team, and that's a really important thing to make sure that we are able to turn the park, as we say, for the next group of guests coming in the next day. I was going to say, between the time constraints themselves, sometimes you have just a few hours between that, you know, that 3 a.m. and maybe a 7, 8 a.m. opening, but coordinating the efforts with all the different teams because you have to make sure you may follow, you may have to either proceed or follow some other crew that comes in. Yeah, absolutely, and, and not to mention what kind of work is being done. For example, uh, there's times when uh, the concrete needs to be re-poured, and, and so obviously if we, if we need to do some work at the same place where there's gonna be fresh cement, that does not uh, coincide very well together. So typically, uh, we'll have regular uh, conversations and meetings with the different departments to make sure we are coordinating the efforts um, so that we do get along and get, and get things done in a, in a very expeditious time frame. I can tell you we've got a huge set of professionals, people that uh, this has been their professional career for many, many years that uh, are into the rhythm and they can turn the park in a few hours and focus on those absolutely must do things knowing that maybe a few nights from now we'll have four or five extra hours to go in there and focus on a little extra fine detail in those those corners and nooks and crannies. And the one thing that's, that's true about the custodial is that for the most part other than us seeing it it's very much invisible 
to guess. You know, we don't see a lot of heavy-duty activity going on, obviously because it takes place at night and because it is done in such a coordinated effort. Um, and I think Guess 2, do you find, do you think Guess 2 treat the park with a certain degree of respect um, in that maybe they're not dumping things on the ground as much and, and they're a little more conscious? I, do you think that you find that in Guess 2 because we all have that sort of expectation of what we want our park to be like? Yes, and I think that goes right back again to our founder, Walt Disney, who his whole attitude and philosophy was, if, if we keep this place clean and looking awesome, I think our guests will respect that and also follow suit, and we do see that. Uh, I will be walking through the park throughout the day when our guests are here, and it will be nice to see some other guests actually sometimes bend down and pick up a piece of paper and throw it in the nearest garbage can. It, obviously not from them, but again, just wanting to keep this place in, in the, the manner they find it each and every day. And one other thing too, Ken, you know, I was talking about it being seamless to guests. Um, and I think something that people might not know about, but also probably take for granted, is that you don't see big carts and, and garbage trucks, obviously, going up and down the streets because Walt Disney World uses a very, very unique method of trash collection. Tell us a little bit about the AVAC system. Yes, we do, Lou. It's basically just a... Uh mass of interconnected tubes that are under uh, a very high pressured vacuum and uh, there's several portals throughout the park actually there's a few dozen portals throughout the park and uh, throughout the day our, our cast will take the trash from our guests and they will actually fill them in these little portals and they'll fill up and then about every 20 minutes on a rotating cycle the the portal is opened up and that group of trash is sucked to a central location where it gets compacted and gets picked up uh, daily uh, through normal um, refuse uh, pickup system. And discounting an urban legend, every trash can it does, not have, does not have the vacuum underneath it. So if your kid drops his autograph book by accident, it doesn't get sucked. Oh, your child wouldn't get sucked away either. <laughs> uh, that is correct. Uh, yeah, the uh, AVAC tubes are actually in cordoned off backstage areas. And so we will bring the, the refuse to uh, the AVAC uh, portals. Uh, and the AVAC system obviously is all underneath the Magic Kingdom, obviously in the Utilidors. Correct. I think people don't realize, many guests don't realize that the Magic Kingdom sort of on the second level, all these sort of tubes and pipes and networking things take place underneath and then obviously they're, they're broader. What about um, recycling? Are, is garbage sort of separated in those areas and recycled? Uh, we do not uh, physically separate garbage. Our guests actually help us with that. Uh, throughout the park, we'll have refuse cans for trash and other garbage. We'll also have recycle cans throughout the park. And the, the items that uh, get put in the recycle cans will be picked up by uh, companies that specialize in recycling where that content will get recycled. Um, also, I know, too, Walt Disney World has always been a leader in uh, environmentality and recycling and energy conservation efforts. What about from your perspective, from a custodial, maybe a third shift overnight perspective, what if anything's being done there? That's a great question. Just over the last few months, uh, we've actually worked quite a bit on the timing of work. And when you think about our pretty massive property with lots of different buildings, uh, if we kept the air conditioning on and the lights on all night, every night, that would consume quite a bit of power. And so what we've done is we've gone through and we've kind of timed out how long it takes our details to take place. And we've actually mapped them out for what time the detail will happen. And we've put that into a system that will actually turn lights on and off and air conditioning on and off to be in sync and in harmony with when our cast are actually in there doing the work. And this is allowing us to actually save quite a bit in energy consumption. Well, it's great to see 
And again, I don't think we realize what a, a strategic effort takes place overnight, coordinating with you, Horticulture, so many other different teams. And two, I want to give guests a little bit of an appreciation for what you as cast members do. We're, we so often focus on the cast members on stage that enhance our experience. I want to help sort of maybe bring to the attention those unsung heroes that let us enjoy the park the way we do. So, Kent, I really appreciate what, what you and uh, all your teams do. Thank you very much, Lou. Thanks for this opportunity to speak with uh, you and our guests out there. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you So we're going to try something very, very new today. Because uh, as part of our, uh, kind of a mini-mancation that we're having with, uh, with a number of friends, <laughs> we thought um, we're having lunch at Mama Melrose's Ristorante Italiano at Disney's Hollywood Studios and thought we would try, God help us, a live restaurant review. So starring in today's production is, of course... Our favorite server, Kat from Orlando. Kat, welcome to the WDW Radio Show. Hello. Also starring is, you know him, you love him. He is Tim Foster Grant. Tim, say hello. Why did you do that? (laughs) And of course, if there's food involved, to my right, as always, is the lovely and talented Glenn Whalen. I'll have the chicken parmesan with... (laughs) You're you're, you're, you're jumping in. Okay. Uh, Hi, everybody. (laughs) And two new... Faces or, or voices to the show is Scott Otis. Greetings, listeners. The man who um, who got me to jump in a, into a pool fully clothed at one o'clock in the morning to raise five hundred dollars for charity. So, thank you, Scott, and uh, a fellow former Jersey guy, Tony Mendike. Hello, everyone. So, like I said, we're totally winging it, totally unscripted, but we're going to start at the very beginning. Cat. Tell us, what do you recommend at Mama Melrose's? I definitely recommend, uh, my favorite entree would definitely be the shrimp pipette. It's got pretty much a four cheese sauce, which is a lighter alfredo, but it has tons more flavor to it. It has peas, artichokes, red peppers, and onions, and it comes with uh, wood-grilled shrimp. Um, I like to do the surf and turf option and add uh, wood-grilled chicken to it and have shrimp and chicken. The pasta is definitely like... um, kind of like a macaroni noodle almost, but it's got a shell consistency to it, so it holds the sauce very well. Um, My second recommendation would be our number one selling entree is the chicken a la parmigiana, which seems like some of you have already made up your mind on that. It's a parmesan chicken, um, breaded chicken breast. It also has um, tomato sauce that we make daily and melted mozzarella cheese with a bed of spaghetti noodles on there. So those are my two favorites, and I definitely recommend those. Awesome. Well, we know Glenn, um, to my right, Glenn's going to have the uh, actually, chicken. I'm going to have the wood grilled chicken. Wood grilled chicken? Yeah. Throw in a curveball. Yeah, throw in a curveball. Because you just finished your first word of chicken parmesan. Yeah, so your chicken <laughs> parmesan was good. Uh, I'm going to go completely against what you said, and I'm going to try the grilled chicken flatbread with sun dried tomato pesto, pancetta, asiago cheese, and fresh chives for, for a very reasonable $12.99. $12.99, that's very reasonable. You have the, the kid salad, Lou. That's an excellent choice. And no, I'm not going to have the kid salad. <laughs> Thanks for asking. I, you know, I was all about the four cheese flatbread until you spoke up, and I'm going shrimp. Everybody likes my ice cream. There you go. 
I'm gonna go with the uh, grilled pepperoni flatbed. Uh, flat, excuse me. Hello, <laughs> flat bread. I mentioned you were from Jersey, so it's all right. You got to pass. Thanks very much. <laughs> and and I, it seems like I'm the only guy here who does not like cheese. So I'm actually gonna go off the menu and just get spaghetti with meat sauce. Spaghetti with meat sauce. I said because you guys are so awesome, I pretty much got you almost every single dessert that we have on our menu. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and explain these for you. Um, we have the classic tiramisu. has a bunch of mascarpone in it with um, the ladyfingers and whipped cream and chocolate. We also have a ricotta honey hazelnut cheesecake that's rolled in ricotta cheese with a pureed honey hazelnut center. It's topped with whipped cream and chocolate shavings with a blood orange drizzle underneath. We also have spumoni, which is our classic uh, gelato, Italian gelato. It has chocolate, pistachio, and vanilla. We also have a creme limon, which is kind of like a lemon custard, but it has a little cookie uh, biscotti on top with some fruit and whipped cream. And then we also have my favorite, which is the warm chocolate truffle cake with a melted chocolate ganache in the center and a pistachio florentine. Wow. Awesome. Wow. So I hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, I, want to take pictures. <laughs> I want to take pictures before we uh, destroy that. So. Tim's already Tim, touched Tim, it. Get your hand out of there. I touched everything. Tim has already touched everything, so only he can eat it. So in addition to the food at Mama Melrose's, I say all the time that everything you see and everything you do and everything you experience in Walt Disney World is about story. And Mama Melrose is certainly not an exception to that. So Kat is going to explain to us a little bit about the backstory behind Mama Melrose's. Well, here in uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios, um, we always have a theme for everything. And um, a lot of people are actually wondering why and the story behind um, Mama Melrose and how it got created. Mama Melrose uh, grew up in Italy when she was a little girl, and she always cooked with her dad, and he shared some of his recipes, secrets with her. So um, her lifelong dream was actually to be an actress when she grew up. She ended up coming over to California here in Hollywood Studios, and um, she started making friends with some of the actors, and over the years she's been collecting items um, and storing them in a storage facility to make sure that she has everything um, collected over time, memories and everything. Um, and then she started inviting her actor friends over to her house, and they finally got to taste some of her um, ethnic uh, Italian food. Well, they loved it so much that they said that she should open up her own restaurant and thus created Mama Melrose Restaurant. She took all of her memorabilia that she collected over the years and stored it all around her restaurant. And um, as you see when you come in the front lobby, there's a um, pictures and um, profiles of a bunch of the actor friends that she had, and they signed the pictures for her, and she put them up to let everybody know how she got started and the people that she knew and met over the years. So that's pretty much the story of Mama Melrose. We have to carry on the legacy. <laughs> and I see, of course, we're sitting in the, the Dean Martin Memorial booth, which is nice. Right. With the fish with the really big sunglasses on top. <laughs> hey, that's classic. I actually, um, I walked around a couple times and tried to count how many fish we were because I, I, I keep actually losing count. Um, so it's it's a constant uh, game for some of us here to see how many fish we have on some of the, the plates and stuff and hung up on the walls. She likes her Dino, she likes her fish, yes. so. Looks she just like my mom's basement too. Yeah. Likes the grapes and the binary and she kind of has a little bit of a, a Christmas theme going on with the with the bulbs and the ornaments over in the um, towards the back of the restaurant so it's actually pretty cool and again a story behind the theming so that unfortunately most guests will probably never get to understand I really don't ask um, but uh, it's always a pleasure to um, share Mama Melrose's story and um, continue on the legacy for her and creating a wonderful place to eat in 
dorks. Well, you've just passed on to five big dorks, so thank you very much. I'm, I'm a big dork also, so I, I share that throne with you. Don't worry about it. Being dork is not a bad thing. No, we're, we're more geeks than dorks, so. I'm a Star Wars geek, just like everybody else. You know, I correct people when they get the names wrong, and I'm like, no, 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 you don't know the name. you got to pronounce it right. So it's kind of growing up with my brother, you kind of... You kind of get that passed on to you. Come on, grab a fork, have some tiramisu. I would love to have some tiramisu. That's actually um, the, my second favorite other than the truffle cake, but uh, you guys need to enjoy that because I get it all the time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank all you right. so much. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. All right. So while you're chewing, tell me, which is your favorite of the, of the desserts? Well, so far I've only tasted the lemon one, so it is totally my favorite. <laughs> the... All I've had is the cheesecake. You guys are not reviewing properly. Tony's eaten everything, so... Not everything. I've had a tiramisu, which was very good. I tried some of the vanilla gelato, which was very good. And also, <laughs> I'm really not a pig. Um, and some of the chocolate melty cake, which was... Which, I bet, are you very good? Excellent. <laughs> Outstanding. Anything chocolate works for me. So. This is tiramisu. Mmm. 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 Alright, yeah, so this is, I think, which is what, what is this one here? This is the cheesecake thing. The honey hazelnut without the cheesecake. Mm. It's delicious. I love the honey hazelnut. The honey hazelnut <laughs> cheesecake is awesome. And you're actually staring at it as you're eating to see if anybody else is going to take any yeah, more. Right. Where is you've it? got the, I you've got, got the, are you guys going to finish this look on your face already? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't know. You know you want to. I gotta try a little chocolate for you. That's outstanding. Trying to use this. Mm. I didn't. I know. The honey hazelnut regatta cheesecake. Just like Mama used to make, which she never really made. We'd we'd buy from somewhere, but just like Mama used to buy. Cheesecake has my favorite vote so far. Oh, I have the instructions right in front of us. So there's five things instructions here and only four or, here. or ingredients, either one. Oh, Mama's Tiramisu. Okay. We had all five. So there's the Mama's Tiramisu. Okay. And the warm chocolate truffle cake. You guys destroyed that before I got to it. There's a little piece left. It's a little bit left. I had no chocolate, just so you know. I had none of the chocolate. Tim Foster swooping in on Glenn's cheesecake. All right. But I'm, I'm all over the... Uh, I actually agree with Tim. The, the, the cheesecake, two big thumbs up. Truffle cake for me. Absolutely. You know, one for the truffle cake, two for the truffle cake. Glenn hasn't said he doesn't no, like no, anything. No, I'm, I'm the, the, this is the, the winner to me. The, the honey hazelnut and ricotta cheesecake. So even though they have sort of the tiramisu as like their signature dessert, I think we all agree that the, uh, the cheesecake. Hey, let's give gelato some not, love here. Hold on. Anybody not try the... The honey hazelnut ricotta cheesecake yet? Which means, except for you, you do not want it. Want so you basically want Scott's portion. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I haven't tried it yet. All right. Even I voted this? for it twice already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try this. All right, I mean, this pistachio. This pistachio. Ow! That candy's hard. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I like the uh, the lemon cream with a little biscotti in it. But I'm gonna swoop in on Glenn's cheesecake. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> Grab the rest of that. 
I'm gonna go with this. Good move, Scott. Alright. Alright. You know what? Sorry. No I have to say one thing. People are right. All we ever do is eat. We all said no, we don't want dessert, and uh, there's pretty much no dessert left. Well, you know what? We don't want to. We don't want to do that. Because we do have to walk to the restaurant, so there is a. <laughs> there is some exercise that takes from place. The gate to get the Mama Melrose was at least eight miles. Uphill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. Um, you can just take the whole I'm thing of gelato and put it in front of you if you want. The gelato definitely gets a lot of love. It's that's very that's good. What's it? It's got a pistachio, gelato vanilla, a gelato, love? a gelato love for the gelato. <laughs> It's a bit nutty. There was a nut in there somewhere. It's a pistachio. Was it? Yeah. Darn good. Which I never really got the idea of. Who would take a nut and make it into an ice cream? It's good. Try some. My grandmother was really big on the pistachio and cherry vanilla birthday cakes. Not... Cherry vanilla? Yeah, scarred me did for life as a child. Did birthday cakes? She did. I was what scarred for life. butter ice cream? Oh, I'm totally down with that. Well, that's a nut too, you know. Peanut's not it's a nut. Not. It's a legume. <laughs> Peanut butter's not a nut. It's a... It's a, it's a dessert. Well, it started out. It started its life as a peanut. No, it started out as a Snickers bar, and oh, they turned they, a Snickers they, bar. They back. weed them out. <laughs> they grow inside the chocolate. They siphon out the peanut. It's a big machine in a big sieve from the Snickers. I saw it on the What's Discovery Channel. Is a Milky Way, <laughs> <That's> right? <laughs> I can't believe you pigs devoured all five of those desserts. What? Wait. Now I can't believe it. Delicious. Nobody liked it. So wait, what did you say was your favorite? My favorite was a warm chocolate truffle cake. I usually get that with a scoop of vanilla ice cream. And then um, I like the tiramisu second. But my brother likes the cheesecake. And we were, it every time we we were monster fans of the cheesecake. Monster fans of the cheesecake. Um, I have to agree, it's really, really good. But um, I don't know, I, I, I tend to favor the tiramisu and chocolate a lot. You know what? Bring us out a, another set. Let's tr- let's revisit. Let's reboot. Let's try all over again. You know, we'll, we'll have like some wine maybe to clean the palate, you know, and then, and then try a different one. Maybe intenser flavor. Now, there's a. Um, I assume there's like there's a full bar here. There's a full menu, full wine menu as well. Yes, there is a full bar. Um, there is a full wine menu. Um, we don't really have any house wines because personally, we really like to recommend our own. Um, but uh, we uh, have a lot of specialty drinks that we just um, actually added to our menu, and uh, we also have some classic drinks that we have featured on our menu also. So for a dessert menu, uh, for a dinner menu, do you have uh, recommended wine pairings for certain meals, or do, do, are you sort of like a, a junior sommelier and, and recommend? We do not have a sommelier because um, I think we're all a part, partly sommeliers ourselves because we have a lot of experience with wine. Um, it's really to each his own here. Um, I like to recommend a couple different things, a couple different wines with certain dishes, like the uh, pipette, the shrimp pipette that. Uh, he got over there. I would definitely recommend maybe a Chardonnay, like an Italian, uh, the Imagine Chardonnay. It, d- it definitely cuts down the flavor a lot. Um, and with the spaghetti fra diavolo that we have is actually um, a bed of spaghetti noodles with spicy uh, tomato sauce, clams, mussel, shrimp, and calamari. I definitely re- recommend like a Chianti for that one, a little bit of a spicier flavor. That also goes very, very well with um, the fra diavolo. So. I know Glenn's thinking a whole fava beans and a Chianti. I can, I can see your mind racing. Um, I'm still thinking of other nuts that have been turned into ice cream. I made a comment about whoever decided to make a pistachio into ice cream. Butter, almond. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> All right, your point's well taken, but whoever decided to take a pistachio and make it into a... Into a I, I love coming in here on my days off, um, not only to play in the park because I get to spend time with my friends and my family, but coming in here, um, I, I know it sounds cheesy, but like this is like my second home and my family, and I really love you know experiencing um, different things with the guests, you know how they how we make magic for them and seeing their reactions on their faces and how appreciative they are when we do special things that take nothing and no effort on our part, but it's just it means so much to them. It, it, it actually makes my day and my job so much more special than it already is. Like talking to five geeks about food into a microphone. Food and food and Star Wars and all that other stuff. I am totally for it. Anytime. Anytime. Awesome. Kat, thanks so much for, uh, for, as always, exceptional service, delicious food, and a little magic with the dessert. Magic? I like making magic. I'm not, I'm not a magician, but I like making Disney magic. So I do, I do what I can. And thank you very, very much. I hope you guys come see me again. Definitely. Thank you. So since this is a restaurant review, we should probably review what we ate. But I thought rather than trying to talk to you while you were chewing, we'll kind of go one by one through uh, through our meal. So, Glenn, what did you have and what did you think of it? I thought of another one with walnuts. <laughs> Stop it! Uh, okay, so no, I had the wood-grilled chicken, which was uh, actually very mild. mild. Uh, it was a creamy goat cheese polenta on the bottom. But very mild. The flavor was nice, and um, it was a gentle lunch. A gentle, a, gentle. A, a kindler, gentler lunch. Preparing for my nutty ice cream. Filbert. Uh, what? <laughs> Filbert is a nut. Go ahead. Oh, this guy. <laughs> hey, no help from the peanut gallery. Oh, pardon the pun. The uh, peanut gallery over there. What'd you have, uh, Banana Foster? I had shrimp pipette. Am I saying that right, Mr. Italiano? Yes. 100%. Dean Martin, who's looking over, he was rolling over in his grave. Why? How do you say Just it? Just go ahead. No, I thought it was it, it was very good. The thing that was... Hey, wait, wait. wait let me ask you what? this. What's this word? Ricotta. Ricotta. Cheese. How do you say that? Go ahead. How do you say it? Ricotta. 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 Oh, and I know it's mozzarella, right? Oh, you guys are giving me a headache. Go ahead. <laughs> Leave the gun, take the cannoli. <laughs> cannoli. No, I, the, the shrimp pipette was very, very good. The, the thing I liked about the, the shrimp itself was, um, I guess being wood-grilled was exceptionally flavorful and stayed with me for a long time. And that actually, the, the shrimp hit me about five minutes later. I think I had a peppercorn stuck in my... <laughs> but it was, it was very good. Very filling, though. There's lots of pasta in there. It's very good. I had the, uh, the grilled chicken flatbread, um, which I really enjoyed. It was... It was enough to actually share. I mean, I was able to share a couple of pieces with you guys. It had a, instead of like a regular sauce, it had a sun-dried tomato pesto, which was excellent, and a pancetta, which is like a, kind of like a bacon, Asiago cheese, fresh chives, and it, it wasn't very heavy, which I really liked. I mean, it was a perfect thing for lunch. It was $12.99. Um, again, at, at least enough for one, if not for two. Um, not like a traditional pizza, but a, a real good flatbread with big pieces of grilled chicken on it so uh, exceptional really really good um, what about you Tony wait it wasn't what? heavy because you gave half of it away <laughs> well Glenn, just, Glenn. <laughs> go ahead Tony um, I had the I had the grilled pepperoni flatbread with bell peppers and sweet onions it was uh, very good the there were five slices of pepperoni uh, in a star pattern on, on the flatbread it was uh, it was it was very tasty I enjoyed it 
And uh, going off menu, but nice, uh, nice way to show that Disney is able to adapt to anybody's palate and anybody's tastes and desires. Scott, you had just traditional, just like Mama used to make spaghetti and meat the balls. That's right, just spaghetti and meat sauce. It was just a very classic Italian meal. Um, the the meat was kind of kind of ground up. Uh, had a darker kind of a spicy flavor. It was very excellent. Uh, very standard meal, but I loved it. Yeah, and I like the fact that even on the lunch menu, there's a lot of different things to, cheat, to, to choose from. If you want a pasta, if you want a salmon, if you want a flatbread, if you want eggplant, um, there's also vegetarian dishes on there as well. But So I have a couple of questions for you guys. How do you think Mama Melrose's compares to other Italian restaurants on property? You've got Tony's, you've got Il Molino, you've got a couple other options elsewhere. What do you think Mama Melrose's sort of ranks for you? Well... In, obviously, in the in the parks is a very different environment. Uh, comparing to Il Molino would be probably a little bit unfair because El Molino is external and it's a it's phenomenal meal. But we're inside of a park here, so this is really excellent. And we actually didn't have that much of a hard of time to get into the restaurant, um, which is probably a little bit different than if we were over at Tutto Italia. And I, and I hate to say it, I haven't been in a Tony's for a long time, like several years, so I can't speak intelligently about that. Well, you had, that kind of brings me to one of my other questions. Where do you think it ranks maybe as far as theme park food? You know, how does it rank, rank as a theme park restaurant? Because I, I often get frustrated when I hear people talking about, I came back from Disney World and I couldn't stand having burgers and fries, and, and I roll my eyes and, and whatnot. Uh, how do you think Mama Melrose's ranks as far as a theme park restaurants? You know, we talk about the exceptional venues and, and experiences that you can get especially like the World Showcase comes to mind at first what about what, what do you think Tim? Um, well I agree I think it's it's a restaurant that's like like worthy of a World Showcase restaurant um, wow it's high praise high praise yeah it's very um, a restaurant you can find in a resort or a World Showcase the theming is, is unbelievable in here it's hard to believe we're sitting in the middle of the studios right now um, I will say back to your question compared to Tony's um very nice. I, I think I would find Tony's a little more kid-friendly than this might be. It might be hard for... I'm sure there's a kid's menu that's, that's full of pepperoni pizza and cheese pizza. But um, there are more... This is a more, I guess, refined menu than you might find somewhere else. But, which, which is good. And, and I think that's the part that makes it kind of a notch above some of the other sit-down restaurants you might find in, in the other parts of the park. Well, uh, this was my first time meeting at Malibu Um it's, it's, it's nice. It's tucked back in the corner, back in the studios. And like Tim said, it's, it's hard to believe that you were, you're in the theme park. I mean, it, there's so much around on all the walls and all the theming and the, the music in the background. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a really nice place. I'd come back here definitely again. I absolutely concur with everything Tony said. <laughs> <laughs> he, Tony was reading off your notes. I know. I know. Uh, I, I agree, and you, you talked about our, our relative ease of getting in here for lunch. I think partially because it is so tucked far back in the corner that if you're not coming out of Muppets, if you're not going to the store, if you're not going to the Christmas shop, you might not even know that Mama Morals is here unless you may be going to try and make an ADR and it's something that somebody recommends to you. Uh, I also agree that you don't... I think it's a... As far as theme park dining is concerned, it is a little more upscale. I think it's like a brown derby kind of thing where it's not... Um, you know, akin to some of the other sit-down restaurants, and you can spend, you know, an hour or two in here, especially for dinner. You know, you can have a nice glass of wine with your meal. 
uh, you, you kind of get out of the hustle and bustle of being right in the, in the center of the parks. It, it's cool to note that the menu has changed over time, uh, and it used to be more of a traditional Italian restaurant, but I think they're going for a fresher type of menu, because rather than having pizzas on the menu, they're going with flatbreads on the menu, which is more of a, uh, a modern thing that's happening now. We're seeing a lot more of... Uh, of that sort of thing. So having flatbreads on the menu instead of uh, pizza. It actually reminds it's a California Grill-esque right. having a flatbread. That's that's the other place where we've had that, which is very good. True. And they also, I mean, they do also have relative traditional Italian things, like even on the appetizer menu, so you can get a cold antipast that has meats and cheeses and vegetables, tomatoes and mozzarella. You can get wood-fired mussels, uh, as well as salads and soups and... and Calamari. We calamari. Say, we say we say calamari. Uh, you also said mozzarella, didn't you? What's that word? That word is served. I uh, know brusch- bruschetta. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think the uh, I think the menu uh, has a lot for a variety of different palates, and if there's nothing too scary on here, like you said, there is a kids menu, so there's stuff for kids as well. But you could have a nice you know couples dinner in here, a nice family dinner here. Uh, big venue, a lot to see, great theming. Um, after this meal, it's it's ranked higher on my list of theme park restaurants. Very nice. Do you, do you think, uh, with the ease of us getting in here today, compared to some other restaurants, do you think this qualifies as one of the better kept secrets around? I'm not sure how this runs throughout the day, if it's normally it being tucked away like that. I think it might be. I mean, again, we threw around the Tim Foster name, so that got us in True. very, very quickly and easily. Um, we did come here for lunch. We walked up right before 12 o'clock when the restaurant opened. Uh, I have had trouble getting here for dinner in the past before, but I do. I think it somewhat is a... Because people think, I'm going to the studios. I want to have more upscale dining. I'm going to go to the Brown Derby, not realizing what Mama Melrose has to offer. Right. Yeah, and not as... Uh uh, going the sci-fi drive in is more of the thing to do when you go to the studio. So, right. a very different experience of what sci-fi has. It's sort of kitschy, campy thing going. Same way as primetime. Primetime again, I think, has excellent food. But I think this this may take a, a couple of notches up in my book. Yes, uh, definitely, I agree totally. And I also just remembered uh, pralines and cream. <laughs> Hey, you say you say kitschy. I just want to point out, I am sitting underneath a big fish with yellow sunglasses on it. So, you're also sitting under a picture of Dean Martin. So show some respect. True. We're <laughs> also going to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'm just, you know, you know what I'm saying. So, well, guys, uh, thank you so much for uh, for joining me for lunch and sort of doing this um, impromptu. For buying, ra- well, actually, <laughs> so the uh, the impromptu roundtable. Thanks to. Uh, Come on over here and say goodbye, Kat. Thank you again. We really appreciate We put you on the spot, but uh, everything was wonderful. And, and really, really, and we just were saying, I think after this experience, Mama Melrose has kind of jumped up a couple of notches. Due in large part to you. Thumbs up. Thank you very much. Um, I and the flatbread. Oh, uh, the flatbread. Um, and the dessert. And the desserts. And, and something else. Dessert, something the desserts made out of nuts. <laughs> and the fish with the glass. Oh, you got to have Dean Martin in there. Got to have. Well, that's why, right. Um, thank you very much for the compliment. It, it truly makes me feel better and, you know, makes me keep wanting to do what I do and make magic every day. And um, I definitely hope you guys come see me again. We will be back and we will definitely recommend it. So thanks again. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay. See you. Macadamia nut. <laughs> when was the last time you went into Carvel and ordered a macadamia nut fudgy the whale cake? Thursday. <laughs>
What time is dinner? <laughs> Down each avenue or via street or strada, you can see him disappearing two by two. On an evening in Roma. the fun of my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine is that with it, you can join me in a virtual journey back in time where we can revisit some of our favorite, often extinct attractions from the parks. That and, well, it's good on gas, great for the environment, and it's a breeze to park. And uh, as I want to do on my journeys to the parks is reminisce about attractions that no longer exist. And this is often a result of my walking by a location or a venue, which may have once been home to something that afforded me oftentimes fond memories as a child. And my most recent trip to the Magic Kingdom was certainly no exception because I was walking through the park, savoring the sights and sounds as I headed towards Tomorrowland. And I glanced to my left as I approached the Avenue of the Planets. And there I saw... Well, first I saw the Enchanted Grove in the distance and was sure I had time for a snack, but then I shifted my focus a little bit to the canal below and my mind wandered back in time to when long white boats plied these waters. So today I'm joined in the Wayback Machine by Ryan Wilson, editor of the Main Street Gazette blog, as we take a look at the Plaza Swan Boats. So Ryan, welcome to the show. I'm sorry, I... Enchanted Grove, I got lost. I'm, <laughs> the raspberry lemonade slushy just oh, sent right. you off okay. into Excellent. A... <laughs> so yeah, you know we were we were it's funny we were talking about doing segments and and when I was there, I did I looked over at the rose garden and the little green canopied area and the waterfalls by Tomorrowland. And I started thinking back to the Plaza Swan Boats and I said, oh, this would be an interesting segment to do because I actually get a lot of emails about this and oftentimes they sound something like Lou I, I seem to have a memory of being in a one of these in a boat a lot you know in front of Cinderella Castle but am I dreaming was it really here am I making this up or, or was it really true because I think for a lot of people Ryan because maybe the attraction was so unique so different but relatively short-lived not everybody has these super fond memories of the Plaza Swan Boats I agree, and it's one of those things where I was at the plaza on my last trip, and I was doing the same thing. I was looking across, you know, over towards the castle, and you had those couple of waterways, and it's one of those things where even people nowadays who never, never have heard of the Swan Boats or they experienced Disney much later are going, you know, it would be great if they had a boat right there, and it's like, you know, funny you should mention that. There actually was one at some time. Right, because it seems to just make so much sense, and when we talk about the attraction and when I was as I was doing my research on it uh, my memories were somewhat faded but I'm like god this sounded something that would be so cool so nice to see today and as we sort of wrap things up later on we'll talk about maybe you know would we like to see something like this in there um, but it seemed to just make so much sense and be such a nice and when you talk about the swan boats you always have to throw sort of the adjective in front of it you know it's so peaceful and it's so graceful and it's so elegant, you know, before you describe the boat ride. Yeah, it, it did seem like it was such a quiet thing to do. A nice, you know, it, it was a long trip. 
and so it was something that you could just relax for a little while and those areas you know there are more of them than people think in the parks but they don't explore them enough and it was one of the attractions that let you do that and it's funny because i think some of the things that we look at now as a positive maybe about these type of attractions maybe at the time were looked at as a negative so maybe back then people you know they didn't they didn't care about having this a 17 minute boat ride with not really a lot to see you know there wasn't really a story it was just sort of a tour pointing out different things along the way where now guys like you and I would love to see something like this. Yeah, it's, it'd be like the Wedway on Water at that point. It, you it, read my nuts exactly what I had. <laughs> there you go. It, it was just, it, it'd be great. It's, you know, it, it's a little bit longer than the Wedway, so maybe that's why that did better than, than the boat. But you're right, there was not a lot to look at. It was more about the character of the skipper the the captain you had on your boat much like the land was back when living with the land had the tour guides right and it's you know in many respects it was almost somewhat akin to a a jungle cruise where you had a skipper that had a certain narration but i think there was much more leeway here uh given to some of the skippers as to what they could do and what they could talk about because they didn't have to follow sort of a a verbatim narration uh, as they took them around no, it seems like from you know videos I've seen and my really hazy memories of maybe I went on this once. It seems <laughs> like they had an ability to interact with guests more and talk to them, you know, and answer their questions about things they had or you know interact, ask them where they were from, things like that. Exactly, and I think a lot of people, as we're even now talking about, are probably saying, "Wait a minute, I, I I'm I can't follow you guys because I can't see where this attraction was." And let's sort of maybe describe where it was and then what it was a little bit. Because as you approach the central hub um, from Main Street and look towards Tomorrowland, as I said, off to the right, you'll see the Plaza Rose Garden, which is a beautiful garden. It's got a trellis. It's got hanging baskets. And down below this winding path is a a canopied building uh, with sort of a patinaed green. That actually was the dock for this attraction, which was a seasonal. It was not something that was open all year round. Only for about 10 years, from about May of 73 until August of 83. And it did. It was a boat ride, not just around Cinderella Castle, but really took you off to the side and took you through Adventureland as well. Yeah, you would you would cut out around the Crystal Plaza and then a, a, a circle the uh, Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse, back through Liberty Square, and then back to Tomorrowland, effectively. Right, and it was sort of went in a clockwise direction uh, from that location. Now, originally, the original dock was, like you said, in front of the Plaza Restaurant. You know, there's a seating area down below uh, along the, the, I was going to call it the moat, the canal uh, by the Plaza Restaurant. That was the original location of the dock before this building was built. Um, and like we said, it was this, it was a long ride. It was like 17 minutes. Uh, again, it's a plus and a minus uh, because... It's not something like an Omnimover. It's not something like a TTA where it's a constant load. You've got to wait for one of these boats to come back. In 17 minutes, relatively long amount of time to wait. I mean, obviously, there's more than one boat in the in the water, but... Right. I think they had about a dozen boats or so. and But still, I mean, you're looking at at least about a minute, minute and a half in between boats getting there and, and lines backing up. It, it was going to be a slow-moving ride. It was going to be a, a potentially a long wait in line for it. And people sometimes back then, you know... This was their one trip a year, every other year, every three years. They wanted to get on something maybe a little bit faster. Right. 
They were looking for the signature attractions. They were looking for a little bit maybe more of a thrill as opposed to, you mean, I'm just going around in a circle. You know, I don't, it, it, I start thinking about things like the Discovery River Boats and Discovery River Taxis in Disney's Animal Kingdom, which didn't do well specifically because that's what people were saying. Well, wait a minute, I'm just going around in a circle. You know, nothing to see here, not much to see here. But again, guys like us, we would have liked to have a cast member pointing out maybe a little bit of the history of the Crystal Palace or maybe some of the details about the Swiss Family Treehouse. Yeah, give us that that history, those trivia, you know, pieces that we thrive on so much. Right. Uh, you know, it, it it did. You're right. It had very limited scenery. You know, there were a few topiaries, um, some you know, planted flowers and shapes of different things. But for the most part, you were at the mercy of what was right there off the canal. Exactly. And the boats themselves, I think, were really the thing that were one of the things that actually that was very unique about this attraction. Obviously, they were called the Plaza Swan Boats because they were very long, very shallow boats with a giant white swan in the front. And as opposed to a normal boat ride with rows of seats, much like the Jungle Cruise, there were two sets of bench seating. I mean, literal benches up against the outer, you know, the outside of it, you know, so you'd be facing each other across the center of the, of the boat. If you picture the Jungle Cruise boats, it's it's almost identical, except that you'd have that middle piece missing where, you know, you can fit five or six other people. Uh, and it's about 20, you know, between 25, 30 people. And yeah, you were just facing one another, looking out over the side. And that was, that was your view. Right. And like the, the Jungle Cruise, but somewhat dissimilar, was this these boats, and this, again, one of the things that led to its demise, these boats didn't run on a track. Um, the Jungle Cruise, I don't want to spoil the magic, but the, the skipper's not always controlling the boating exactly what? the whole time. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, I know. But um, they used um, a sort of a, a, a water jet uh, propulsion system. They used They were powered by natural gas, and they had two jets of water under the hull, one in the front, one in the back. So the boats were very maneuverable. You could actually swing the boat 360 degrees, propel it sort of in any direction. However, um, they were somewhat unwieldy um, at times. And there were reports that there were, you know, little bumps here and there uh, up against. And I'm, don't anybody yell at me because I'm going to say now that, that all originally, all of the cast members who were skippers of the boats were women. That has nothing to do with the boats crashing. <laughs> it's just there was no guidance system. Um, they, they were not on any sort of track. So um, they were steered manually the whole time. And I think that was part of the difficulty as well, because here are the skippers trying to narrate, trying to interact with the guests and sort of keep an eye on where they're going as well. Right. And whether through, you know, the, hey, look, I can make this spin like a mad tea party cup (laughs) or just the fact that, you know, they may have caught a turn too late. There were there were some bumps. There were some dings, you know, they like we said, these looked elegant and graceful. But they were, you know, built to to withstand some dings and dents here and there. Right. And supposedly a guidance system was meant to be installed at one point. Never happened. Again, the the attraction only lasted uh, about 10 years. But you know what? It was a D-ticket attraction, which was was somewhat amazing to me. Back before 1980 or so, when they were still using the A through E ticket coupons, A was obviously the least exciting attraction e-ticket was the big headliner so d-ticket was just sort of a a notch below and it ranked up there i mean it ranked up there as obviously a a a tick an attraction that would qualify as a d-ticket 
Right. It never and it never shifted. You know, there there have been many stories of attraction starting out of an E or a D, and by the end we're an A, a tick, you know, ticket attraction. This was consistently a D ticket attraction, which I think speaks to the amount of people who are coming to see it. I, I've read accounts of you know over an hour wait for these, and some of that has to do with the fact that there were twelve boats and. Some of it has to do with the fact that maybe people were interested in this kind of an attraction. Right. And over um, the years, too, the number of boats diminished. I mean, I guess they just started having problems either with the boats themselves or the propulsion system, whatever. Because I think right around the time the attraction was closing down, uh, supposedly they were only down to about five or so boats. And then one boat in the, in the fleet was actually used as a cleaning vessel. Right. They call it the vacuum boat. Right. <laughs> So, I don't know how graceful of a name that is for a swan, but, you know. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I wonder if that boat is still, um, you know, if that's still in use what, what, to, keep the, uh, to keep the canal clean. You know, I've been trying to find that out myself, and I've not been able to pull anything up about, about it. No, and that's the thing. We were talking offline. There's not a lot about the swan boats. There's a very limited number of pictures. There's some postcards you can find online. You know, relatively very few, and I think that's where we were talking earlier about people's memories are, are somewhat vague about this uh, attraction. Especially when you consider that most of its life, it only ran during peak season. So if you were there on an off time of year, chances were you didn't see these boats, but if you came back two years later and you were there during, you know, during high summer, you may have seen a boat. And it would give you very misleading memories as to what you saw and what you didn't see. Right. And my understanding too, and please somebody correct me if I'm wrong, of all the pictures that, I, that I've seen, and I've tried to do a lot, as much research on this as I could, it didn't appear that there were lights in the boat. So this was a seasonal attraction that I assume only ran during the day. And that probably lends to the fact that it was only during high season when you had longer days, so you could run it at, you could get more out of it with longer days. Right. Right. And uh, again, too, you know, I'll, I'll link to some places online where you can find pictures, or obviously you could just Google the word swan boat. And... and like I said, Ryan, the boats were beautiful. Um, you know, we should mention, too, they were all named after heroines and princesses from Disney films. So there was a Tinkerbell, there was a, Flo- a Flora, Fauna, and Merryweather boat from Sleeping Beauty. Um, and they all took those those feminine names for each one of the watercraft. It was very reminiscent of, you know, for those of you who know the West Coast and Disneyland, the storybook land canal boats they had out there, they had the same similar kind of names, you know, female cast members female boat names i think probably my favorite just because you know i'm a peter pan nut and the fact that it's so obscure was tiger lily mm-hmm. but they, they were they were very long very elegant uh, most people think that they were probably based off of something from the swan boats in the public boston gardens or boston public gardens wow. but yeah they were gorgeous to look at right and you you mentioned the storybook canal boats and i think maybe this was the Walt Disney World version of it, but without the little scenes and the r- little dioramas um, that you have out in Disneyland. Even still to this day, you have out in Disneyland. Yeah, it, it, I think it's probably partially of where the waterway is located. You know, back in Fantasyland in, in Florida, in Magic Kingdom, we only had the 20,000 Thieves Lagoon. So the only other waterway was around the hub and into Adventureland. And I don't know how many people would have loved to have seen little miniatures of Alice's Cottage or Cinderella's castle along those shores. Right, just not conducive for that same type of attraction. Um, but, you know, the attraction goes away, I guess somewhht unceremoniously, um, in 1983. The uh, the canopied area down by Tomorrowland, obviously still there. Um, there was rumors, I mean, still to this day, 
that the swan boats could be seen in Lake Eola in Orlando. That is not true. Um, supposedly, they were put up in property control, eventually sold off, uh, but not used in Lake Eola. So any any swan-style boat that you might see there is not one of the same ones from Walt Disney World. No, the one thing you have to consider with that is the ones on Lake Eola are pedaled by foot. You know, they don't have that big a capacity. You, you couldn't, with foot power, you know, unless you're Barney Rubble, do a 26-person <laughs> boat with your feet. <laughs> so, but, you know, the fact that the dock area is still there, and, and it's used for things like, um, you can use it, I think, for private parties it might be able to be used for, or, you know, I think a lot of people go down there and they do proposals and, and things like that. There's actually tables and chairs down there now, so if you get some lunch or a snack, you want to sit down there, it's a nice quiet place down by the water. But it got me to thinking about, I wonder if, um, would people like to see another attraction like this come back? Or is it just Disney geeks like you and I that, that maybe this sense of nostalgia would love to see something like this return? It's one of those things, it's a, which hand do you go with? I mean, yeah, I love the, the people mover, the Wedway, the TTA, whatever you want to call it. I'm a Wedway. Uh, I love the the Rivers of America and the Liberty Bell Riverboat. Um, but are those rides really all that crowded when you get on them? I would, for one, love to see a, an attraction like this come back and to get the different perspective, really, of what you see when you pass the Crystal Palace or when you pass, you know, the hub and the castle and down Main Street. I agree. I think it's very much, like I said, analogous to the ride you mentioned. Again, I, my notes have... Wedway people mover on the water um, or even a Main Street vehicle, the same type of thing. It gives an opportunity for guests to take that very leisurely, very scenic ride and have the cast member give them almost a little mini tour, give them that 15-minute mini tour along the way, uh, maybe even sort of point out some of the things that they might not have realized beforehand, maybe even whet their appetite for a more in-depth tour, a backstage magic, keys to the kingdom, if that's what they really enjoy. Um, but it is, it is, you're right, that same type of quiet, outdoor, relaxing boat ride. But again, by the same token, you still might have issues with the limited capacity, the maintenance costs, things like that. Um, but it's something I'd love to see come back in some form or fashion. Yeah, because I don't know how many boats you could put on the river without it just looking cluttered and, you know, completely congested you obviously don't want to ruin the view of that waterway in the castle and that waterway in the bridge into tomorrowland or adventureland but i would love to see something like this you know like the discovery riverboat and tom Sawyer's island these relaxing attractions i think for people who like us who are you know get to spend so much time at disney world we love to have those moments where we can just relax take in what we've seen take in our memories and move on from there Right. And the, the somewhat rhetorical question I was going to ask is, you know, how do you think your view of the castle and that area and the hub might change by seeing a slow moving, quiet boat go by? Is it something that you think would be distracting? Is it something that you think would be visually appealing? I think it's the latter. I think it would be nice to have some more movement and, and energy sort of going around in that area and to see a, a slow moving boat go by might be one of those things to say, hey, you know, we got to go down there and, and try this. And, and like you said, the very unique perspectives that you'd get. Um, great pictures, too, around the park. Absolutely. How many times do you get a picture of the bridges or the castle from that angle? I mean, really. Exactly. But, but you're right. I mean, 
if it's not going to be a, no a noisy boat on the river, you're not going to have it completely backed up. Like, you know, you're not on it's a small world. You're not going to have boats into the scene before you. It, uh, I think it attracts having that moat, having that swan. It's something that looks kind of graceful. And I think putting it on a backdrop with the castle or a main street or the serpent, the sea serpent, topiary, I think creates a really lasting image. Right. And I think it needs to be kept very simple, much like the TTA, much like the original swan boat. It doesn't need to be themed. It doesn't need to be tied to a character or a film or anything like that. A very, very simple, um, very understated type of boat should ply the waterways. And I think that wouldn't distract from any of the other visual cues that you sort of, you sort of get in that area. I think that's something both you and I are, are you know, prone to do is keep it simple. Just, if you can keep it simple... You can say stupid. You can say keep it simple. <laughs> if you're talking to me, that's no, that's, fine. <laughs> that's the thing is, is it, I don't know that the TTA is stupid or the way is stupid. I think it's if you keep it simple, you you know that was something that was always there with those parks. And the simple stuff is sometimes the stuff that lasts longer than anything else. True. And you know what? I would love to hear from people, from listeners, if they have any memories, if they have any photos or videos that they want to share the Swan Boats, I would love to see them, love to share them with other people. By all means, please email me, call the voicemail, whatnot. And if you'd like to see something like that come back, you know, do you think a, a Plaza Swan Boat, you know, 2.0 <laughs> would be something you'd like to see plying the waterways, um, you know, around the hub and through Adventureland? I'd love to hear sort of your ideas or maybe your concept about how they might be able to make it work. Yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to see it come back. I'd love to see what every people have to say and what their ideas were. Absolutely. And uh, this, was, this was a relatively very quick trip. We got our money's worth on the, uh, the Wayback Machine. Um, I think we still have money in the meter, actually. Right. There's time left. <laughs> we, you know what? We might have time for Enchanted Grove after all. Ooh. Even though it's the Fantasyland Art Gallery right now, we'll, have to, we'll find somewhere else to go. <laughs> they always, there's always Dole Rips or Citrus Swirls. You know, That's they right. have other options. That's right. So, and Ryan, as always, my friend, always enjoy going back in time with you and, and checking out some of these extinct attractions. Oh, it's always a pleasure over here, too. It's time for this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Contest. I hope you're having fun with these, and better yet, hope that you're learning something along the way. But this week, I'm going to try something a little bit different, because in the past, I've tested how well you know your Walt Disney World history and trivia, but this week, I'm going to test how well you listen, because some of the most fun I have producing the show is doing the radio intro at the beginning with the sound clips. And many of you have emailed me over the years and said that you really enjoy those as well. So here's your chance to let that fun pay off. Because this week, I'm going to give you five random sound clips to identify. It's that easy. But this week, you also have to send me something else. Your shirt size. Because this week's prize is an all-new, hot-off-the-press... WDW Radio Blue T-Shirt. These are not the ones you see on the store, on the website, from Cafe Press, but they are all new blue T-Shirts with the silkscreened WDW Radio logo on the front, which I will soon be adding to the store online. So, 
All I need is the five correct answers in order, your shirt size, and your address in your entry. So if you're ready, here are your five sound clips. Okay, LA, crank it up. I'm Max. Yeah, Debbie was sick. Please come forward. Be sure to take along all your belongings, including your imagination. We can hear everything you hear. Keep going. Okay, so you have until 11.59 p.m. on Saturday, June 13th, 2009, to email your answer, address, and shirt size to lou at wdwradio.com. We'll have one winner this week. See how you guys like this format of the contest. Going to mix it up, have a couple other ideas for future contests as well. But this week, I will draw one random winner from all of the correct entries. Again, your deadline is Saturday, June 13th at 1159 p.m. So good luck and have fun. That's all the time we have this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks to Kim Warnicke and Kent Krauss from Walt Disney World Horticultural and Custodial Staff for their time and assistance in talking to me about what goes on in the Magic Kingdom overnight this week. Also, thanks to Ryan from the Main Street Gazette and Kat from Mama Melrose's, as well as Glenn from Passamaquati.blog.com, Tim from GuideToTheMagic.com, and my friends Scott and Tony from New Jersey, for their joining me on a very impromptu, very unscripted, but fun segment about Mama Melrose's. Let me know if you guys liked it, as I'll be happy to do more of these in the future, including some live video reviews as well. Speaking of videos, look for more new videos on the site, in iTunes, and on YouTube, including some more overlooked experiences and so much more. I'll be posting at least one, possibly two, in the next week. If you subscribe to the show, you should already be downloading it to iTunes and your iPod device, or you can also find them right on the site on the homepage at wdwradio.com. Also, I want to say big thanks to everybody who came by my meet of the month on Saturday, June 6th. We avoided the rain over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Had a great time getting to see so many old faces, meeting so many new people. I really appreciate you guys taking time out of your vacation or out of your day to come by and say hello. I will have dates for July, August, probably September and October very, very soon. Uh, let you know when those are going to be. July is probably middle, late of the month. Not sure about August and then beyond. Uh, also, thanks to everybody who joined me on the live WDW radio chat and broadcast last Friday afternoon. Again, another very impromptu last minute video broadcast after I checked in from my room in Walt Disney World. I will definitely be doing more live videos soon. I will also be broadcasting live from Walt Disney World again in the future. Stay tuned to the show as well as Twitter and Facebook for updates as to when those are going to happen. Uh, speaking of meets, I also mentioned on last week's show that I wanted to gauge some possible interest in a West Coast meetup because I'm going to be heading out to the West Coast at the end of June for some business. Wanted to see if anybody wanted to meet up possibly in the San Francisco area. Uh, I've heard from many of you who are going to be around there and wanted to try and uh, get together and meet up. So I will try and put something together possibly for Sunday, July 28th by Fisherman's Wharf. Again, still trying to get the logistics and details worked out. Uh, I may be trying, I may set up a Facebook event and or post something in the forums. But again, if you're interested, please email me. Let me know. I'll keep in contact with you guys directly. Uh, another meet that I'm going to be attending later on this year 
that I've talked about in the past, want to just bring to your attention once again, is the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet. That's going to be Saturday, August 15th in Linwood, Washington. That's about 20 miles north of Seattle. There, Disney fans from all over the Pacific Northwest are going to be gathering to meet other fans, podcasters, authors, actors, to meet and share many memories. There's going to be a Disney Anna show and sale, guest speakers all day, including the keynote speaker is going to be Margaret Carey. She's been on the show before. She was the original reference model for Tinkerbell. Love Margaret Carey. She's awesome, wonderful to meet and to listen to hear her speak. There's also going to be pin trading, uh, Disney displays, collectibles, hidden Mickey hunts, uh, industry experts from the travel and podcasting, lots more surprises. For more information, you can visit pnwmousemeet.com. I'll put that link in the show notes. Tickets are on sale now. You can buy them online. They will not be available at the door. So if you're interested in going, you need to go and visit pnwmousemeet.com. Finally, don't forget that if you have any questions you want answered on the show, I'll be doing another email segment in the next week or two. Send those to lou at wdwradio.com. I know I'm way behind. If you've emailed me in the past, I ha- you haven't heard from me yet, I promise I will get to it on the show. And also, if you want to be heard on the air, you can call in your voicemail to the new toll-free voicemail line at 888-703-2171. If you aren't following my instant updates on Twitter, head on over to twitter.com, sign up for a free account. You can follow my updates. I play games from the parks, games during the week, lots more. Again, that's twitter.com slash Lou And if you're on Facebook, come by, friend me up on Facebook, join the WDW Radio Show group. Again, links to all these right on the homepage of WDWRadio.com on the right-hand side. Don't forget to head on over to CelebrationsPress.com. There you can find out more, subscribe to, or order back issues of Celebrations Magazine. Remember, too, we're also always looking for contributors, whether it be an article, letters to the editors, photos, suggestions, anything at all. Again, that website is CelebrationsPress.com. Thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel. They are my recommended uh, travel provider. You can go and visit Becky and her team over at mousefantravel.com. And as always, if you guys like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Review the show on iTunes, post about the show or link to it on other places online. Come join the forums at wdwradio.com. We have more than 32,000 registered members, fellow Disney fans. It's fun, free, and very, very welcoming. And as always, thank you all so very, very much for taking the time and tuning in this week, coming by, joining me on the chat, coming to the meet of the month. I really, really do appreciate it. So until next time, remember to always keep moving forward. Have a great week, everybody. See ya. Hey, Lou, it's Courtney Peters, and I just got back from an incredible weekend in New York City. Thanks to you. Um, the Lion King was phenomenal. The actors and the singing and the movements and the scenery, it was it was just so amazing. I started tearing up when they were singing Circle of Life just because it was so beautiful. And we got to sit next to two nice other ladies that won tickets from you, fellow Disney lovers. So that was great to get to meet some other people that know who you are and love Disney as much as I do. 
So I just wanted to thank you again. The weekend was incredible. It was our first time in New York, and we got to go to the World of Disney Store on Fifth Avenue, and we went to some other shows and did lots of shopping and ate some good food, and it was just absolutely incredible, and I'm sure we'll remember it forever. So thank you so much. I know I've already told you a million times, but it meant the world, and it was just more than I can describe. It was incredible. So thank you. I wish you could have been there too, but I guess you're busy down in Disney. So um, thanks again. Bye. Hey, Lou, it's Darlene um, from Western, well, Buffalo, New York. Um, I just met you today at down, uh, Disney's Hollywood Studio, and I just want to say thank you again for uh, the meet. It was wonderful. And the shirt to upgrade, and I will talk to you real soon. Thanks again. It was great meeting you. Thank you. Bye. Hey, Lou. It's Todd from Jersey. Uh, short-time listener, but uh, love the work, love the books, love everything. Um, just finished listening to the most recent show that had uh, Justin Machoni on it, the unfortunately former CMO, and this message kind of goes more to him, but yes, I agree with you that he was the most amazing and perfect choice for this position, and listening to every one of his interviews is such a joy. I could listen for hours on end to each of his stories, not only because of the stories themselves and just the emotion and the, the feeling you get from hearing those stories, but from the joy that he genuinely feels from telling them and from having been part of them. It's just amazing. And, you know, unfortunately he said that, you know, his site may not be around for more than a few more months. I, I'm sure I'm not the only person who is a Disney fan who would plunk down $20, $30 or whatever it is for a book that's written by Justin, almost like a memoirs of a Disney CMO. Um, all the stories that he's told expanded upon, all the stories that he didn't tell, um, everything he went through in terms of getting ready to get chosen and the, after he's been chosen, and just the year in review, that could be a huge book, but I know that there would be such a market for that, and I, so I know for myself I would read it probably numerous times and recommend it to many people, and there's got to be a lot of people out there who would read it, so it's the most... Uh, that would be my suggestion. Justin, write a book. Uh, it's, it, it would be a great read. And uh, Lou, keep doing what you're doing. Love it all. Top tens uh, are my favorite, to tell you the truth. And um, you, keep, you keep making them. We'll keep listening to them. You keep writing them. We'll keep reading them. Thanks again, Lou. We'll, we'll listen again next week. Bye. One, two, Um, just wanted to call in and say that I am in line for the Haunted Mansion <laughs> on my senior trip for class of 09. Yep, we're Woo! living it up, having fun. We ate lunch at Pecosville. <laughs> Maybe you'd be proud of that one. Um, all right, uh, I guess I'll listen to you soon. Okay, bye. Hey, Lou, great news. This is Erica um, from Fort Lauderdale. And I went and I saw Up last night. Amazing. Such a good movie. And in the previews, they showed how they were going to have a Toy Story 3. 
Oh my gosh, including 3D. I am so excited for that. It's coming out in June of 2010. It's going to be so good. Just wanted to give you the heads up. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Sharon from the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio, and I just listened to show 121, and the interview with Justin, the CMO, was wonderful. It was great. It brought a tear to my eye to hear his sincerity and and just the joy that he brought to many people, and, and you can tell he was really, he just enjoyed the experience himself. And I'm also anticipating our trip with our family to Epcot um, in September, and it's my children's first time going. And in preparing, we're reviewing each country in the world's showcase, their history, their language, um, looking on YouTube at the uh, uh, travel videos of each site, each country, and we're also having the kids color flags um, of the country itself and hanging them up in the family room. So our countdown to our trip is when we put down the last country that we're going through in the world showcasing, hanging up uh, in the family room. So it's been a really fun experience to get them prepared for the trip. And thank you so much for the show. Um, I just got done washing the dishes and packing my husband's lunch, and this is just a great way of topping off the day. And going to go to bed now. Good night. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Hey, Lou, it's Josh. Uh, I know I just called about mm, 20, 30 minutes ago and gave you a long like lecture speech, but this is going to be short and sweet. I wanted to say that usually I just call in and leave a voicemail, and then a week later I get to listen to it, because it's pretty cool to hear your voice on an iPod. Um, if you haven't tried it, anyone, I suggest it, 888-703-2171. Um, I also wanted to say that... Um, I had just listened to uh, Justin Machoni, the CMO, and uh, the beginning intro with him talking, the few little sound clips of him, with the uh, Year of a Million Dreams music going on in the back. I, uh, I, I, I guess I was going to say almost, but I shed a tear. It was that, it was that sad to me that uh, I, uh, it was, it was pretty awe-inspiring actually because I never really knew what a Chief Magic Official did. I didn't even know about this contest. So, um, Justin, I want to say thank you for all that you've done there at the Disney Park, because I'm sure what I'm thinking about that you've done, you've probably done attractions and everything. So, Justin, I just want to say thank you, and um, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm on the computer. I'm getting on your website right now. So, uh, talk to you later. Bye. Hi, Lou. Tim calling from Pittsburgh, uh, calling in reference to honeymoons, and I've got a tip for everybody who's planning to spend their honeymoon in Walt Disney World. My wife and I, we spent two weeks there, stayed Polynesian in October, and it is an absolute must. You need to pick up the bridal ears and the hat, just the, the level of service. I mean, typically there, you know, everybody knows about it. It's just up that much more by wearing those ears. Um quick example of just something small my wife and I went to sci-fi with uh, with another couple who was there on our honeymoon we were wearing the ears they weren't uh, and we were brought you know a complimentary dessert while the couple behind us unfortunately really didn't get anything so I mean it's definite must just you know in addition to just all the, the great wishes that you get and you know free desserts that you get from everybody 
it's just nice because, you know, people stop you, um, you know, other couples, and it just strikes the conversation and makes everything really that much uh, that much better. So just, just a little tip for everybody playing their honeymoon. Um, and thanks and appreciate everything you do and love the show. Uh, up? Hey, Lou, this is Paul, also known as Goofy Hauk. Uh, we're at Hollywood uh, Tower of Terror, and we just got to experience the ride with the lights on. And then we got to use the center elevator to uh, come back out because of, uh, they had a system restart. So we're getting, we got the special VIP elevator to go back up. Anyway, so we're getting ready to get back on and do it again. And it was a lot of fun to see a little bit of the backstage at the Hollywood Tower. Talk to you later. Bye. Hi, Lou. I'm John. And Jenna. From New Jersey. We love Disney. And the show. We'd like to say hi to Teddy Z. Hi, Teddy Z. Keep up the great work, Lou. Bye. Bye. Hey, Lou. It's Darlene. Just see on the board. Just thought I'd give you a quick buzz. Uh, at Port Orleans Riverside right now. The sun's peeking out, and we are heading to Epcot. Um, we've been here since Tuesday. We've already done Downtown Disney, Magic Kingdom, and Animal Kingdom. Um, we had missed Kelly River Rapids because it closed after an hour and a half wait. Um, I see that Paradisus, I think it is, is the name of the restaurant down at Downtown Disney 37. Um, it's opening today. We're planning on going there Sunday for dinner or lunch. And um, we're going to head out to uh, Disney Hollywood Studios tomorrow for your meet. And then we're going to do Magic Kingdom again on Monday in Epcot sometime in between there. Um, we did poolside this morning in Port Orleans, and I heard you were at Epcot last night, and you were heading off to some place today. Um, so we'll see you tomorrow. Talk to you later. Bye. Have a magical day. 